0: It is a true pleasure to be with brothers and sisters in Christ who care about spiritual things and who are here to worship our great and glorious God. And there is not enough praise or enough songs or enough reading of his word that we could do that would be enough that would be where we could say, well, we've done enough to praise our God. We could sit here or stand here for hours and hours and hours and still not do enough. But yet we're here for a limited period of time to gather, to study together, and we are glad that you've chosen to be with us today. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 28, where we are going to spend the majority of our time today as we think about some applications or time-tested lessons for the work that we are engaged in, in preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. While you're opening there, I'm going to actually make reference to Second Timothy chapter 2 in just a moment uh, to make a point at the outset of our study, but while you're getting settled to those particular passages, we're thankful for the presence of a number of visitors from around this part of the state or other states, and you've chosen to be with us, and we're grateful for that. You are an encouragement to us and just as a reminder to our members, uh, make sure that when the uh, conclusion of this service uh, transpires that you take a moment to thank them for being here as you always do and show them the gratitude that they richly deserve for their presence and the encouragement that they are to us. One of the things that we do here at Northfield Boulevard is every third Sunday of the month in the evening, we reserve that slot for one of our members to preach. Uh, I don't know if that's to give you a break from David and from me. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, it's because it's a good opportunity for them to speak And it's a good opportunity for you to hear from our members and to give them opportunity to preach. And those of you that have ever been a part of small congregations know that you may show up one Sunday morning and they say, by the way, you're preaching today. And so it's good practice there as well. Brother Shane did just a bang up job back in January and we appreciate the work that he did. Tonight, Lord willing, our brother Daniel is going to be speaking for us and we're looking forward to that a great deal as well. We invite you back at six o'clock tonight. Appreciate Shane and Daniel and the other host of men who uh, gladly participate in our services and sharing God's word. When we think about preaching and teaching, we think about the nouns, the preachers, and the teachers. And you may say, well, good, this sermon doesn't apply to me because I'm neither one of those. I don't preach because that's not something that I have a talent or ability to do, uh, and I don't teach because maybe that's just not in my wheelhouse as well. Well, hang on just a second. We want to remove that from the table because in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the thing things that you have heard verse 2 from among many witnesses commit these to faithful men and by the way there I don't think that word means just men as in those who are male but to faithful individuals who will be able to teach others also in verse 2 of 2 Timothy chapter 2 so I want to take off the table that this sermon doesn't apply to you and in fact I would argue that it applies to all of us Because whether you stand in a pulpit or in front of a group of 10 teenagers or whether you teach a, a private class in your home All of us, by virtue of the things that even David talked about over the last month or so in some of his Sunday morning sermons, uh, we all have the responsibility of sharing the message and shining forth in an impartial way God's great and glorious gospel. Which brings us to the final chapter of the book of Acts, which we recently concluded a study of the book of Acts. And I want to read beginning in about verse 16 and I want to read through the end of the chapter I want to read it rather briskly uh, since it is a lengthy reading but I want to come back and make some observations about the text starting in verse 16 it says when they came to Rome the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to the men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people of the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem to the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. And they said to him, We neither receive letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect we know that it is spoken against everywhere. When they had appointed him a day, verse 23... Many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. And when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul and said in one word, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Israel, the prophet to our father, saying, go to this people and say, hearing, hearing. You'll not hear and shall not understand. Seeing, you'll not see and not perceive. Or seeing, you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes have closed. Thus, they should see with their eyes and ears, or hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Now, notice the last four verses. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him. And then this is where we get the title of the sermon from, that very last verse, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. I would argue that that's what we're supposed to be doing. Preaching and teaching the kingdom and the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our, that's our role. As preachers, as teachers, as members, as parents, as neighbors, as friends and co-workers, that's our responsibility. However, this last chapter in the book of Acts is not written as a coda or simply as a conclusion wherein it's now just summary material. But it provides for us what I call these time-tested lessons for us and able to uh, be able to more effectively preach and teach. And there are some things that we need to learn, be reminded of, and be concerned with want to look at a handful of those, and we'll spend just uh, three or four minutes on each of those. And I want us to start with this observation, that is, when it comes to opportunities to teach, sometimes they come in what I would call odd ways. They will appear at odd times with odd people in odd circumstances, and we cannot always plan out That we are going to teach. That being said, it's okay to schedule a time to teach, but the fact is, is we cannot always schedule appropriate times for teaching and preaching the kingdom and the things concerning Jesus Christ. You can't say, Well, next Tuesday I'll spend some time teaching and preaching. Now it may be that next Tuesday you have a class, it may be the next Tuesday you have a particular opportunity, but this should be a daily occurrence, an hourly occurrence every day of our lives where we teach not only by our words but by our examples someone once said that when it comes to moral values just in a very generic general sense that they are more likely caught than they are taught and that's kind of a nice way of saying that people catch on to the way that you live as much as they will listen to the things that you say and so our examples are paramount in this you know if you go back to verse 21 he says, we neither received letters from you, from Judea concerning you, nor have any brethren who have come reported or spoken any evil of you. Paul says, uh, these people are saying, we don't know exactly why you are here. We don't know the backstory. We don't know everything that's transpired over the previous 12 to 14 chapters of the book of Acts. Paul had, according to Acts chapter 19, verse 21, wanted to visit Rome for a long time says when these things were accomplished Paul purpose in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia go to Jerusalem and he says, quote, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. You know, there are places in your lifetime where you may say, I surely want to go and visit blank. It may be a place elsewhere in the United States. It may be some exotic foreign location. It may be for the purpose of sharing the gospel. It may simply be, I want to take my my wife on a vacation to Paris because we've never had the opportunity to do that. And so whatever the case may be, we long to go places where we've not been before what was Paul's life about? It wasn't about going on vacation. It wasn't about going someplace with his wife with whom he did not, or he did not have one. Uh, I had had an individual from a different uh, religious organization years ago try to convince me that Paul was married as he was doing mental gymnastics, trying to prove that he was an elder. And you can probably guess the perspective from which he was approaching those things. I said, well, I can't find any passage that says that Paul was ever married. In fact, it seems to me that based on what, he wrote to the church at Corinth. He wasn't married and claimed that to be uh, evidence of why he was able to do his work so effectively uh, in, in his particular circumstance or circumstances. But Paul says, I want to go to Rome. I want to go to Rome so that I can teach. I want to go to Rome so that I can witness Jesus Christ and so that I can share his message with others. Little did Paul know that that would be the case though in an involuntary way and an involuntary circumstance. God, actually, four chapters later, would tell Paul directly, you're going to go to Rome. And you can imagine Paul saying, good, that's what I've wanted to do now for many chapters. I want to go to Rome so that I can preach and so that I can share the gospel with others. And so there in Acts chapter 23, where I reference, it says the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for you have testified for me in Jerusalem. So now you must also bear witness at Rome. Paul's probably saying, good, this is what I've been wanting all this time. Little does Paul know, because we have the whole story, Paul here is living in the moment, that imagine, if you would, the feeling when Paul finally arrives in Rome and begins his work, and he says, wait a minute, I made it to Rome. Wait a minute, I'm in Rome. And no, he's not there by his own fruition, but he's there by his own desire, And you say, well, how can those two things be simultaneous with one another or synonymous with one another? It is because Paul was about the will of God in all things. He says, wherever I need to go, I'll go. And whether I live or whether I die is beneficial for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the call of Jesus Christ. So this is one of those odd circumstances where Paul is now a prisoner with limited freedoms as outlined in the latter part of Acts chapter 28. But if you would have said to Paul uh, years earlier, we don't know exactly how old he is at this point or how many years he's been in service to the Lord. If you would have said, well, you're going to go to Rome, but you're going to go as a prisoner and you're going to be happy about it. He may have 20 or 30 years earlier said, you got to be kidding me or you've lost your mind. That's not going to happen. But Paul says, I don't care. It doesn't matter if I'm in a prison in Philippi. Acts chapter 16, in prison at Rome, Acts chapter 28, if I am on a road somewhere, if I am anywhere and at any time, I am going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes opportunities come in odd ways. And it reminds me, I've told this story before of the, of the elderly lady. Uh, she wasn't from Pasadena, uh, who got pulled over for a driving load. A few of you caught that uh, but you have to be a little bit older to, to catch that, and/, and, and or like uh, certain types of music. But she got pulled over, and she said, "This is my opportunity, And the story goes, if it 's true, and it 's a good story, so I hope it's true that she invited the police officer who was there to warn her about her speed to come to services or to engage in a Bible study, and he became a Christian as a result of that very invitation. Now I'm not suggesting that you go drive quickly so as to get pulled over to advance those opportunities. But should it happen, there's worse things that you could have a a conversation with the police officer about. Uh, And so we might be able to seek those odd opportunities. Secondly, when I read this text, it reminds us that things that happen to us in this life are not always fair. And our brother began us in prayer this morning. And he acknowledged that there are people who are our brethren in the world today who are not enjoying the freedoms that we enjoy. Now granted the vast majority of the world seems to enjoy western based or uh, freedoms like we enjoy in this country and and in most places. But that's not to say that there aren't places. And in the last year, we've had vivid reminders here from uh, our brother Phil and others who are tracking the, uh, the brethren in various difficult places outside of this country where what happens to them isn't right, isn't fair, and yet we still do what is right. Paul, seems to me, is recognizing the very fact that he says, I've not done anything wrong. Why am I on trial? Why am I having these proceedings? And if you go back and read verses 17 through 20, you see where that's exactly what he seems to be arguing here. He says, I've not done anything wrong. You may find yourself in trouble legally, financially, socially, or otherwise because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had experienced, it seems to me, every possible uh, inconceivable problem or uh, had been treated in so many unfair ways in his work. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and as good Bible students, you know that even though 2 Corinthians happens after Acts, 2 Corinthians is happening in Acts. So we understand that that's a good study to engage in as well as to read the epistles as they're inserted into the book of Acts. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23, he says, I speak as a fool. He says, I am more than than those who are the Hebrews, the Israelites, and of the seed of Abraham. He says, in labors, verse 23, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. And then he goes through this list in verse 24. He says, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I had been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water or robbers, in perils of my own countrymen or the Gentiles, in perils in the city or the wilderness, in perils in the sea, or in difficulties among false brethren. He says in verse 27, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and being without clothing. And then the real kind of ultimate concern was not all of this physical dealings, but verse 28, he says, "'Besides all these things, what comes on me daily "'is my deep concern or care for the church or for the churches.'" You see, Paul was an individual who says, I've gone through a lot. Now, elsewhere, he would uh, say, this is just a light affliction. Uh, It's almost as if he's saying, this is just a flesh wound. (laughs) It's almost as if he's saying, this is nothing, because I'm willing to do what the Lord has asked me to do. And you know, when I read these verses, I try to apply it to myself, and I would ask you to apply it to yourself. Have you ever been stoned for the cause of Christ? Have you ever been beaten with rods? Can you count the times that you have been whipped? Can you count how many times you've been hungry or thirsty? Or the times that you've been without clothing or a place to live? These are things that I I can't really sympathize with. I can imagine what it would be like. But I think I speak for most of us. And I know that there are some who've had some really difficult circumstances In this congregation, difficult upbringings and different uh, levels of poverty and various aspects, but most of us have not suffered the way that Paul suffered or that the others in the New Testament suffered, and we never will. And that doesn't say that they're better than us and that we're worse off. It just says that we are very blessed and very privileged, but there will be things that happen to Christians that are unfair. Earthly injustices or temporary pains are hallmarks of a faithful life because Paul said to Timothy, all who desire to live godly will suffer some pain and suffer some persecution. And I have known of Christians who have not been hired or not been promoted because of their faith. I know there are likely people who are sitting here today. In fact, I know of a story that I just heard a couple of weeks ago about someone whose career uh, kind of came to a screeching halt. And then went to a different direction, which would probably mean less prestige, less pay, less power. Because we don't need to be there, we need to be here. And there was some place outside of where they could have a spiritual influence, and here is where they could have a spiritual influence. So you have made sacrifices, and things aren't fair, and that's okay. Because when we get to heaven, we won't look around and say, well, it's sure bad that I didn't get that promotion We won't have those conversations in heaven, will we? So we'll be about the things that really matter then. Number three, there will always be truth seekers. Paul found here an audience that, quote, desire to know more about the gospel. And the thing is, is you will and I will engage with people who the majority of the time aren't interested in learning. They aren't interested in knowing more. And we may want to give up. And that's where Satan says, yes, give up. Don't do it anymore. You can't find anybody that's interested. And then the moment that in the past, I thought, am I doing any good? Am I having any inroads? Am I making any progress? I find someone who is a truth seeker. The scriptures have not instructed us to go and, quote, find those interested in the truth. You ever thought about that? I don't know that that's an original thought. I may have stolen that from someone else years ago, but uh, I think that's very important. Don't get me wrong. This isn't saying that we aren't supposed to go and teach the truth, but we are not supposed to go and, quote, find those interested in the truth, wherein we say, raise your hand if you're interested, and then I'll talk to you. But rather we are to, in the words of what Roger talked about this morning, be liberal in our seed sowing. And I appreciate him reading and providing us some commentary on Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 through 9. We are to go into all the world, Mark 16, verse 15. We are to be liberal in our seed sowing, which is exactly what Brother Roger read from there in Matthew chapter 13. And when we think there's no one left who desires the truth, will be pleasantly surprised with someone who does desire the truth. And we have to make sure that we shake off the dust, don't cast the pearls before swine, and do not uh, be engaged in thinking that they're rejecting us. All those three things are very important. Because when someone says, no, I'm not interested, or maybe has more choice words for us, we say, okay, I'm moving on to someone. Else. As One of, as I mentioned, Bernice before, probably one of the greatest evangelistists ever in the history of humanity, at least that I've ever met. Uh, She said, just leave them as a friend. Don't leave them as an enemy. When they say, no, I'm not interested, leave them as a friend because you never know when they may come back to you. And I've had that happen before as well as you have true. Number four, some will believe, some won't believe. you say, well, that's the That's the silliest thing you've said because we all understand that. But I wanted us to dwell on that for just a moment or so. Paul's efforts were well worth it in that some believed. Go back to Acts chapter 28 and let's look at the text here in verse 24 where it says, Some were persuaded, which incidentally is different than manipulated, right? Because the, those of us that were in our men's class a few days ago, we talked about there's a difference between persuading people. We don't want to manipulate anyone in that we want to trick you into believing. I've often said that, that, that Jesus does not engage in fine print or lawyer talk or fast talk discrepancies or, or um, uh, fine, fine-tuning the, the, the message in the sense that he says, I don't want you to get the whole picture. No, Jesus says in big, bold print in 30-point uh, uh, font, he says, you will suffer, you will pay, you will be persecuted, you'll have bad things happen to you if you serve me. You'll be hated by all men for my name's sake, but if you endure to the end, Matthew chapter 10, you'll be saved in, that, in the very next breath. Well, there in verse 24, some were persuaded... By the things which were spoken, some disbelieved. Well, that's life. That's something that we can't control. I cannot, as much as I'd like to, you know, someone once said, we wish that we could put a control switch on uh, every human, and I would be in control of flipping the switch on or off. I get to control you. If if you're doing bad stuff, I I flip you off. I I turn you off. Uh, I say... uh, I turn you off and say, I'm not going to allow you to act that way anymore. But then I'm going to turn you back on when you're going to act in a responsible way. Well, for one, I'm not God, so I don't have that ability. And God doesn't take that ability, and he allows us to... uh, make our own decisions, act our own ways, to conduct ourselves with our own fruition. And Paul certainly had a lot of disappointments where he wishes maybe, if I could just get a hold of you and control you and make you behave and force you, so to speak, to serve God. Think about what happened at Philippi in Acts chapter 16. You know, at Philippi, we talk about the fact that he had success with that Philippian prison keeper, he and Silas together. And we talk about the fact that that was a successful thing. But think about all the people that were not in favor of doing what God asked him to do. Think about all the people that got Paul in prison in the first place in the previous verses in Acts chapter 16. Or think about, as we recently talked about in one of our Bible studies, the, the story of Felix in Acts chapter 24 and verse 25, or Agrippa in Acts 26, 27 through 29. The whole point that I'm trying to make here before we draw this fourth point to a close is that the success that we enjoy isn't minimized when only some are interested in the gospel. And if you, if you get nothing else out of the points that I'm trying to make this morning, I think that one is important in that you cannot say in the course of my 30 years of being a Christian or maybe 40 years of being a Christian, I've only had, I, I, can, I can count on two hands the amount of people who have really been interested in learning about the gospel or have responded to my invitation. I hope it's more than two, than, than two handfuls. I hope it's many handfuls. I hope it's scores and dozens multiplied time and again. But success isn't measured by those who are interested in the gospel. Success is measured by how you sow the seed. And that's what matters. We want success. We want there to be able to be able uh, uh, an ability to see results. But you don't always see those results. It may be that at the conclusion of this sermon in the next four to five, six minutes, that nobody responds publicly. Nobody says, I want to become a Christian. Nobody publicly says, I need to make my life right with God. And we could say, wrongly so, I hope we would say wrongly so, well, today was a failure. The preaching was a failure. The worship service was a failure. The songs didn't invite anyone. We have failed as a congregation, and Leland failed in preaching today. And, and I see head shaking. No, and you, you agree with me. That's not the measure. If the truth has been taught, the gospel meeting, the Bible class, the sermon, the, the worship service, that is successful. And that's how we measure success, not based on those who respond. Now, you will elate us and cause rejoicing in the host of heaven if you respond. Which brings us to this fifth and final point, and that is given the fact that we are against so many different obstacles, we've got to always be confident in our work. Notice the very last couple of statements here, where in verse 31 preaching the kingdom of God, teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence or all boldness, some versions may say. Paul continued to do his work, and he grew more and more confident. It's almost as if Paul is this incredible character, and he's not Superman, he's a human being. Sometimes uh, we we think about Paul and James and Peter as being these uh, superhero characters of the Bible, and it's not that we should underestimate them, but they are men who made mistakes, who had weaknesses, and who had challenges. But Paul says, you're going to reject me? Nope, you're rejecting Jesus. I'm not going to take that personal. I'm moving on. I'm going to teach the next person. And you are not going to stop me. Ain't nobody going to stop me now. Nobody's going to hold me down, right? And I'm going to keep on moving forward. And I'm not going to give up. In fact, Paul says... I forget the things that are in the past, Philippians chapter 3, and I press forward to the things which are ahead. There's, there's a couple ways of looking at Philippians 3, my favorite passage in the whole Bible. But either way, you get the picture of Paul saying, I'm staying focused on the future. No man, Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, having put his hand to the plow is fit if he looks back. And Paul says, I'm not looking back. I'm looking forward to the future. He preached the kingdom of God, And he taught the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. We teach the kingdom and we teach Jesus. That's the simplicity of our message. And I'll tell you that there are times where uh, I might be tempted or at least bothered by the fact, well, how am I going to teach these people effectively? Or this person who said, yeah, I'll study with you. It's simple. Preach the kingdom, teach Jesus. Now, is it always that easy? Yes and no. It's easy in the sense that we get to rely on God's word. And if they reject it, they reject it. They're not rejecting me. But it's difficult because sometimes we get a little bit disappointed. And let me suggest to you that by teaching only these things, we can be confident and sure of our work together today our work individually and our work as a congregation our work together as families our work together as bible class teachers or whatever the case may be these are things that we need to appreciate and things that we need to be reminded of we serve a great and glorious god and the kingdom and jesus christ matter more than anything else It matters more than your finances. It matters more than your job. It matters more than your recreation. The kingdom and Jesus Christ is important. They they are important. And really they're together with one another. And we are about that work together today. I hope. That based on the things that we've studied, the things that we have said, the things that we have communicated in song, the way we have partaken the Lord's Supper, have not only been pleasing to God and not only been effective in encouraging one another, but that we can say, yes, we've taught the kingdom and we've taught Jesus Christ crucified. And if you are here, as we said just five or six minutes ago, and you are not a Christian, You are taking a a serious chance in not obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ because you are not guaranteed of a future opportunity to go about taking that opportunity. But you are granted the opportunity today to be baptized, to have your sins washed away. If you want to know more about that, if this is a new concept to you, if you're new to Christianity, if you're new to church, if you're new to religion, if this is something that's foreign to you and you want to ask us questions, you're not going to offend us. You will actually encourage us by asking those questions. And if you're here and you are a child of God and you need to make some sort of public correction, we welcome the opportunity to help you. Let us know while together we stand and while we sing.